This is Guns and Butter. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Michelle Chosodovsky. Today's show, Colin Powell and Imperial Fabrications. This program was first broadcast on February 26th, 2003, a mere three weeks before the invasion and occupation of Iraq. Shortly after Colin Powell's presentation to the United Nations Security Council, there was another sort of fabricated story which uh, had to do with Osama's the audio tape. And uh, the irony of all this is that Colin Powell was reported to have taken this audio tape out of his pocket and showed it to reporters four hours before it was actually broadcast by Al Jazeera. Now, where did he get this audio tape? And on what basis does he say that it's uh, authentic? One starts to have a certain sense of disbelief. And there we have uh, these powerful intelligence agencies plagiarizing documents on the Internet and then presenting them to the Security Council as evidence for waging World War III. Anti-war sentiment doesn't disarm uh, a government. What disarms a government is when, when a government lies and reveals the lies, and when the lies are well understood by everybody, and in this case is so clear that, that they're lying. Today on Guns and Butter, Michelle Chosodovsky. Michel Chosodovsky is professor of economics at the University of Ottawa. He is author of the international bestseller, The Globalization of Poverty, and Impacts of IMF and World Bank Reforms. Professor Chosodovsky is director of the Center for Research on Globalization, which hosts the critically acclaimed website, www.globalresearch.ca. He is editor of Global Outlook magazine and author of a new book entitled War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, which looks at the broader geopolitical and economic implications of September 11th. Professor, I understand you have Secretary of State Colin Powell's speech before the U.N. Security Council right before you, and you're taking a look at that. What do you think of his speech before the Security Council? Of course, we have to put this matter in perspective because uh, immediately after Colin Powell's statement, there was a press report, in fact, it was on British television, that said that one of the supporting documents for Colin Powell's statement, which he referred to in his uh, speech at the United Nations Security Council, it was a British intelligence document, had in fact been plagiarized from a paper written by a graduate student which was on the on the internet okay so right from the start uh, one has a feeling not only that this is faulty intelligence of course we know that intelligence is fabricated but here we have a statement which in fact is intended to justify uh, a major military operation against Iraq, something which threatens the future of humanity, which doesn't exclude the use of nuclear weapons to liberate Iraq, okay? because those are the statements which Bush 
made in his union address. And there we have the supporting evidence for that justification to wage this war is a grad student's paper plagiarized off the Internet. Okay? People uh, have a certain sense of disbelief. It's all over the British press. Just after Collins Powell's speech, it started to spread a little bit into the United States, but it was always in, in, you know, in page 16, uh, you know, uh, next to the classified advertisements. Nobody could find it. And in fact, it wasn't front page news, but it points to the lies, the deceptions of the Bush administration and the sheer incompetence of the main political actors. They don't even understand the stuff that they're reading in, at the Security Council and, and so on. And then you had, uh, it, it's all in sequence, then you had, of course, the Osama tape. It happened more or less simultaneously, um, uh, shortly after Colin Powell's presentation to the United Nations Security Council. There was another sort of fabricated story which uh, had to do with Osama's, the audio tape, which was broadcast on, uh, on Al Jazeera's uh, TV network. And then, of course, it was used to say, well, here, Osama is still uh, alive and kicking, etc., etc. New threats pointing to uh, Osama links to, uh, to Iraq, etc., etc. And uh, the irony of all this is that Colin Powell was reported to have taken this audio tape out of his pocket and showed it to reporters four hours before it was actually broadcast by Al Jazeera. Okay? It usually takes the FBI several weeks to get things going as far as audio tapes are concerned. And, and if you remember, last November, it took the CIA six days to authenticate a bin Laden audio tape. And this time, U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell indicated its authenticity even before it had been uh, made public uh, through uh, the Al Jazeera's television news channel. Now, where did he get this audio tape? Doesn't it beg the question, and on what basis does he say that it's uh, authentic? So he, he, he shows his audio tape there, and the audio tape hasn't been played. One starts to have a certain sense of disbelief. But I think that's only the tip of the iceberg, because, you see, Colin Powell statement to the United Nations Security Council is based essentially on two premises. One, Iraq uh, has weapons of mass destruction, and he's a threat to world security. Of course, the inspection team refutes that statement. I mean, if you look carefully at the statements of the inspectors, that assertion by Colin Powell simply refuted, and he, has, he hasn't provided any new evidence. The other part of his statement which comes right at the end and which has received relatively little media attention is Colin Powell's uh, assertion that Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden are working hand in glove. And uh, he makes a number of assertions that the Iraqi embassy in uh, Islamabad, Pakistan, was used to channel support to al-Qaeda and so on and so forth. Uh, and then he talks about a terrorist uh, group in northern Iraq, uh, which allegedly has ties to, uh, it's in the Kurdistan region of northern Iraq, and allegedly has ties to al-Qaeda, according to uh, intelligence documents, which he quotes, this group 
which is called Ansar al-Islam, uh, led by a, a man who's called al-Zarqawi, is also supported by Baghdad. Yet, uh, in his statement, he says the leader of Ansar al-Islam, based in the northern Kurdistan region of Iraq, quote, fought in the Afghan war more than a decade ago. Okay? Now, if this individual who leads this terrorist group, uh, which allegedly is supported by Baghdad, fought in the Afghan war more than a decade ago, essentially what that means is he fought in a U.S.-sponsored war, because we know that this was a CIA-led operation, and he, he fought alongside other Islamic groups, including al-Qaeda, and therefore the leader of this group is, is essentially the product of the CIA operation, most probably trained in a CIA-sponsored training and indoctrination camp, either in Afghanistan or Pakistan. And we have mountains and mountains of, of uh, evidence on that historical relationship, as well as the role, uh, the historical role of Pakistan's military intelligence uh, in support of these various groups. So, you see, what's happening is that with plagiarized intelligence reports emanating from people in the press office of Tony Blair, this propaganda campaign visibly is stalling. And, you know, what they've tried to do is essentially accuse everybody else, but in this case specifically Iraq, of supporting al-Qaeda when, in fact, the evidence points to a direct link between the Bush administration and al-Qaeda. And I should mention, and that's very important, Colin Powell has links to al-Qaeda as well. He has personal uh, links in this whole web you know, of intelligence planning, specifically relating to the events of September 11. And that has to be addressed as well. Because if Colin Powell goes around accusing Saddam Hussein of having links to al-Qaeda, Based on fabricated evidence, I can tell you that we have evidence which points to Colin Powell. I have a statement here by Senator Bob Graham, who is head of the, he's a, he's a Democrat, he's head of the Intelligence Committee of the Senate. Okay? He acknowledges that in the wake of September 11, the head of Pakistan's inter-services intelligence met with Secretary of State Colin Powell and others in the administration, and he says, this gave Secretary of State Colin Powell and others in the administration a chance to really talk with him, with the Pakistani general. Okay? So that, that it's confirmed that the Pakistani general, who heads the ISI, and the ISI is known to support several terrorist organizations, and I, I'll give you another quote, which is from the Washington Post. It says, the head of Pakistan's intelligence service, Ahmad, ran a spy agency notoriously close to Osama bin Laden and the Taliban. Okay? Put those two statements together. Now, what does that mean? It means that while um, Colin Powell goes around accusing uh, Iraq of, uh, of linking up with, uh, with Osama bin Laden, he, uh, on uh, September 12th and 13th, had meetings with an individual who ran a spy agency notoriously close to Osama bin Laden and the Taliban. 
I mean, this is uh, uh, the biggest lie in, in U.S. history. It's totally grotesque. Okay? Now, that in itself, for me, is the smoking gun. The smoking gun is sitting in the State Department. That's where it is. And Colin Powell is wittingly or unwittingly, okay? Because there are other people behind him. He, maybe he doesn't know who this general is, but uh, he certainly must have an idea of what Pakistan military intelligence is doing on behalf of the CIA. When you lie systematically to this extent, that means you've got something to hide. And what you have to hide is the smoking gun, which is sitting right there in the State Department. This is a war led by the U.S. administration against the people of the United States and the world. And uh, it points to complicity, foreknowledge of 9-11, and it points to the fact that the groups behind 9-11 were also financed and abetted by the U.S. government, even though the U.S. government may not have been directly involved. But I don't think that's really the issue at this stage. Well, Professor, this al-Qaeda cell, this proxy cell in Kurdistan, the nor- in northern Iraq, which is the Kurdish portion of Iraq, yes. that Secretary of State Colin Powell accuses Saddam Hussein of having ties to, this area of northern Iraq is in fact controlled by the United States, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's not controlled by Iraq, and I suspect that this group in the Kurdistan region is in fact a CIA covert operation. I have to investigate this matter further, but as many of these al-Qaeda operations in, in different parts of Central Asia and the Middle East, they are intelligence operations. Islamic terrorism is a product of U.S. foreign policy, and we know that. We've documented that. Uh, we have statements by Zbigniew Brzezinski, which confirms that. And I would suspect that that group in northern Iraq is also protected through the same channels by perhaps by Pakistan's military intelligence. Uh, It is fighting a war against the secular Kurdistan government in that region. I'm speaking with Michelle Chosodovsky, professor of economics at the University of Ottawa. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. In Colin Powell's speech before the Security Council, in which he refers to documents claiming that they're from British intelligence, and it turns out that a lot of them were lifted from a grad student here in the United States, British intelligence must be awfully insulted by the revelations that have come out about the plagiarism. Well, you know, the whole British scene is now in a sort of in an atmosphere of utter crisis because the statements which have even come from members of parliament have said, well, this is, this is much more than just a scandal, a political scandal, okay? Because it points to a government which willfully deceives public opinion, uh, which lies consistently, uh, and which its intelligence documents have been plagiarized. I don't know whether Tony Blair will get away with that. Tony Blair is, he knows that his political future is on the line, but of course he is not the person who decides on his political future. There are people pulling the strings behind him, and that's, of course, the Anglo-American oil interests, uh, which include, of course, British Petroleum, 
the Anglo-American defense industries, which includes British aerospace systems, the banks. In other words, there's a whole economic and military establishment behind Tony Blair. There are links between the CIA and MI6. There are agreements in the area of defense and so on. So that, in a sense, Tony Blair is not any better than George W. He's a puppet. He's a figurehead. And he is accomplishing the function which he is meant to accomplish, which is to rubber stamp the war on Iraq. And the only way in which that war on Iraq could actually be avoided is, uh, um, well, if Tony Blair, is, is, um, if his government were to come down, which is not an impossibility, but then we would have to have a government which would take over and which, which actually would stall the military buildup uh, and Britain's participation in the war. But what I find... It's just incredible is that an intelligence document be plagiarized uh, and used by Secretary of State Colin Powell as a justification for waging war on Iraq in the largest deployment of military hardware and troops since World War II with nuclear weapons and so on, and that the U.S. media have created uh, more or less a blackout, a total blackout. They don't want to discuss it, or they, or they discuss it on page 11, uh, lost in, 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 a, in a whole load of small, insignificant uh, articles so that nobody sees it. Okay? There have been a few reports in the American press regarding this matter. I think it's dynamite. It should lead to toppling the war agenda. And uh, I think that the Bush administration is now desperate because they see that their propaganda campaign is stalling. They don't have the support of France, Germany, China, and Russia. Okay? Germany chairs the Security Council during the month of February, and they will not get the consent of the United Nations Security Council. So they will have to go to war without UN approval. Public opinion in Europe is dead set against the war. I've just come back from Germany. Public opinion in the United States is against the war, and it's confirmed by some of the more recent polls. I mean, ABC News ran a poll asking people what they thought of Colin Powell, uh, whether he was convincing or not or effective in making the case for the war against Iraq. 81% of of people who responded to that survey said that Colin Powell was ineffective. The problem is that the Bush administration is in a very difficult situation at this point because it is losing face. And that's the worst thing that can happen to a government, is when the citizen actually doesn't believe the not so much that 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 anti-war sentiment is growing okay anti-war sentiment doesn't disarm a government what disarms a government is when when a government lies and reveals the lies and when the lies are well understood by everybody and in this case is so clear that they're lying okay and Colin Powell's presentation at the United Nations Security Council which was expected to provide ammunition to the Bush administration, has done exactly the opposite. 
And now what are they doing? They're trying to intimidate the American people through these, the warnings of future terrorist attacks by putting on the orange uh, and saying that terrorist attacks are imminent by recalling diplomatic personnel from the embassies throughout the Middle East. All this is, is intended to create an atmosphere of intimidation and fear and hatred uh, in the hope that this will muster uh, public opinion in support of the war. I don't think it will work. After the revelations about the plagiarisms in Colin Powell's speech before the Security Council, I got up the next morning expecting the plagiarism to be front-page news. It was nowhere to be found in the very last page of the paper. There was a small article about it. It never even mentioned Colin Powell. This story is starting to hit the news, but today, guess what the headlines of the San Francisco Chronicle are? It says, U.S. on high terror alert. Absolutely. They've gone gone to orange. Sure, that's great. But I can say, after careful examination, that these terrorist warnings are based on fabricated evidence. But more than that, I mean, there is also evidence that the U.S. administration is actually involved in triggering those terrorist attacks, as confirmed, in fact, by an official uh, government uh, report, which points to this so-called P2OG, the Proactive Preemptive Operations Group. It's a Pentagon uh, uh, initiative which consists in launching secret operations which in turn stimulate reactions, quote-unquote, among terrorists and states possessing weapons of mass destruction. In other words, what it means is that you prod terrorist cells into action and then you retaliate against them, you see. But the thing is that they actually say we want to prod these terrorist cells into action so that then we have a pretext for retaliation. They said it very clearly. It's an official uh, document of the, of the Pentagon. Uh, and what it means, essentially, it doesn't actually say, well, we are behind these terrorist attacks. But in the nature of these covert operations, the CIA is never overtly behind these terrorist organizations. The terrorist organizations have a certain degree of independence, but they're nonetheless considered as intelligence assets. They're protected. They're harbored. The covertly using various intelligence proxies as go-betweens, in particular Pakistan's military intelligence, okay, with which Colin Powell had contacts, obviously, in, in these bilateral talks between General Mahmoud uh, of the ISI and, and the State Department. But there you are. They prod these intelligence groups. They use Pakistan's ISI to do the dirty work. And then afterwards, these intelligence groups do things which are part of this, uh, of this Pentagon uh, strategy of triggering reactions by terrorists. Now, I think that anybody who looks at this policy of uh, prodding terrorist reaction, of preemptive military strikes, uh, anybody who looks at this um, program will come to the conclusion that the Pentagon is actually behind these terrorist organizations, directly or indirectly, and that even a tacit uh, encouragement to undertake terrorist actions is an act of treason.
there's no other way to describe it. Uh, I think we have to bear that in mind. Uh, the, the Proactive Preemptive Operations Group, P2OG, in launching secret uh, operations with a view to stimulating reactions among so-called terrorists, is in fact tantamount to uh, encouraging terrorist acts on American soil, okay? There's an acknowledgement uh, that they're doing this kind of thing, even if they're not directly involved in the terrorist attacks themselves. Also, with regard to these terror alerts, they come with no specific information or any specific advice. There's no attribution to these alerts. They're from unnamed government sources, and the media is inundated with this kind of stuff. But, you know, there's something very interesting about these terrorist warnings. I've gone through a lot of the press reports, and they always use the same terminology. They say that they will be striking sooner or later, okay? And that comes up so frequently in every every report. They will say, this is inevitable, they will will be striking sooner or later. Now, what is interesting is that the warnings on terrorist attacks very often come after some major setback in the Bush administration's propaganda campaign. Now, you might recall on the 16th of May of last year, when uh, the, the Prez knew the foreknowledge uh, scandal hit the tabloids, okay? They said President Bush knew and failed to act on 9-11. So what happened? Two days later, Colin Powell made a statement, and he said, they're going to strike again. Sooner or later, they're going to strike. That statement was made just days after the newspapers, particularly the New York Post, published the piece on the president was, was informed, etc., etc. And that was the first time the media had really acknowledged in any significant way the complicity of the Bush administration in, in, in the events of 9-11, because this, well, at least they acknowledged the fact that there was neglect there was foreknowledge. They had been warned by a number of heads of state, and uh, they'd been warned by German intelligence, and they didn't do anything. And immediately when the foreknowledge uh, scandal broke out, you had Dick Cheney who said, I think that the prospects of a future attack on the U.S. are almost a certainty. Okay? Now, what does that do? It doesn't serve to reassure the public, does it? What it does, it serves to instill fear among ordinary people, and it comes from the, from the vice president of the United States. It has no foundation whatsoever. And it's interesting, immediately after Collins Powell's speech, again, a terrorist warning, which is there to create fear and then instill the, within the population the idea that, you know, go along with the Bush administration, Bush is going to protect you, etc., etc., and, and so on. And the thing which I fear most is that they will actually carry it to the subsequent stage, which is that of actually triggering a terrorist attack from within the intelligence uh, apparatus, which is, in a sense, it's the logic uh, behind 9-11. Although we still don't know who did 9-11, but we've got a lot of information that key members of the Bush administration were involved in acts of camouflage and political complicity at the highest levels. So uh, we're in a very dangerous crossroads right now. Very dangerous crossroads. 
Professor, with regard to the prediction of future terrorist attacks and these alerts, so far there haven't been any subsequent attacks on the United States, although there have been terrible terrorist incidents in other countries. And I'm thinking now of the bombing of the nightclub in Bali, yeah. which was blamed on an organization called Gemma Islamaya, which it looks like has links to Indonesia's military intelligence. Is that true? Well, absolutely. Now, you see, Gemma Islamia has links to Al-Qaeda, and it also has links to, it, it is apparently supported by uh, Indonesian intelligence. And in fact, that's even acknowledged by the Council on Foreign Relations. So that uh, what you have is a, is a situation where these groups not only were trained in Afghanistan and Pakistan in the same framework, uh, they, they say that this group is linked up to to the Soviet-Afghan war. In other words, it's a CIA-sponsored group, uh, essentially, historically, is a CIA-sponsored group. But the fact that it's linked up, it has support by Indonesian intelligence, uh, also suggests that it may also have uh, indirectly links to the CIA, because we know that Indonesian intelligence is, is virtually a proxy of the CIA. It's, it was built up... Uh, during the military dictatorship by the U.S., during the, the regime of Suharto, and they have close links, the CIA and Indonesian intelligence, which is called the BIN. And so I, I think that this is something which has to be examined. I'm not saying anything. I, I don't think that we have enough information to make firm statements on who's behind the Bali bomb attack. But what we can say is that the alleged group responsible for, for the Bali attacks has links to Indonesian intelligence, and it might also have links to Pakistani intelligence. It has historical roots which are similar to al-Qaeda from the days of the Soviet-Afghan war, which was a CIA operation. So those facts in themselves point to links to the Bush administration, ultimately, uh, uh, and uh, statements by President Megawati Sukarno Putri of, of Indonesia, public statements, have said, in fact, have accused the United States of being involved in the, in the tax, and pointing also to the links uh, of her own uh, intelligence apparatus to the terrorists. I'm speaking with Michelle Chosodovsky, professor of economics at the University of Ottawa. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Professor, you also mentioned uh, in some of your writing that Indonesia's intelligence apparatus has for more than 30 years been controlled by the CIA. Absolutely. I mean, during the, the whole uh, period of the Suharto regime, okay? Uh, in fact, even from the 60s, uh, the CIA has, has been uh, closely involved with Indonesian intelligence. I mean when uh, President uh, Sukarno was displaced, and then we recall the massacre of uh, half a million people uh, in Indonesia in the, in the 1950s who were members of the Indonesian Communist Party. It was a big blacklist which was established, and uh, the CIA provided the list. This is well documented. They killed men, women, and children, people who had any kind of 
affinity or relationship to members of, of the Indonesian Communist Party were massacred, half a million people. And it's acknowledged, in fact, now the, the United States government has acknowledged uh, that they were behind this massacre. And, and in the wake of this massacre, obviously, the whole state apparatus was very closely controlled, particularly the military and, and intelligence. So if, if the report, which emanates out of um, Indonesia, points to an involvement or a link between Indonesian intelligence on the one hand and the Islamic group, which allegedly is responsible for the Bali bomb attack, well, then I would start looking a little bit behind the screen to see what's going on, because that indicates that this was not an individual act of terrorism. It indicates that it involved also the intelligence agencies, specifically Indonesia and and perhaps even Pakistan. You've also written about uh, the attacks on the Indian parliament in December of 2001. Are there similarities there? Well, there are similarities in the sense that in the case of... um, the Indian parliament, the groups uh, involved also have links to al-Qaeda, and their roots also go back to the Soviet-Afghan war. But in the case of the attacks on the Indian parliament, we have very firm evidence of links between Pakistan's inter-services intelligence and the various um, groups involved. Uh, There were two Pakistani-based rebel groups, which uh, I believe uh, claim responsibility for these attacks, is Lashkar-e-Taiba, which is Army of the Pure, and Jaish-e-Muhammad, which uh, reads Army of Mohammed. And these two organizations are directly supported by Pakistan's military intelligence, the ISI. And in fact, this is confirmed again from the horse's mouth by the Council on Foreign Relations. And I'll read you the quote from the Council on Foreign Relations, which is an excellent source. Through its inter-services intelligence agency, ISI, Pakistan has provided funding, arms, training facilities, and aid to Lashkar and Jaish. Okay? Many were given ideological training in the same madrasas or Muslim seminaries that taught the Taliban and foreign fighters in Afghanistan. They received military training at camps in Afghanistan, etc. Now, what uh, is referred to there is this big uh, CIA-led operation which started actually under the presidency of, uh, of Jimmy Carter in 1979 and which consisted in creating the Islamic brigades through the madrasas, through the training camps, and Pakistan's military intelligence was used as a go-between. So there's an admission in this statement by the Council on Foreign Relations that Pakistan's military intelligence still supports these groups. Okay? And we know, and, uh, but that the Council on Foreign Relations doesn't mention it, we know that the Pakistan's ISI has very close bilateral relations with the CIA, and Colin Powell has met the head of Pakistan's military intelligence, General Mahmoud Ahmad, on bilateral uh, consultations in the wake of September 11. So again, this is, I think, a much more substantive piece of evidence, namely the fact that Pakistan's ISI is behind the groups which were involved in these terrorist acts, and uh, in turn, Pakistan's inter-services intelligence has linked to the CIA, which, of course, the Council of Foreign Relations doesn't acknowledge, but which is well documented from other sources, including the Washington Post.
With regard to the smallpox vaccination program, compulsory smallpox vaccinations are already underway. And you point out that perhaps they're underway with the sole purpose of creating an atmosphere of panic? Absolutely. They're there to create panic. There are something like three million um, inoculations which are prepared with a view to vaccinating the entire U.S. population. Already there's been a compulsory vaccination of health workers in the state of Connecticut. Other countries have also received these vaccinations, including Canada and Germany. And then we know that there are health risks associated with these vaccinations, that the death rate is you can estimate that on on 300 million people, you're going to have several thousand people dead resulting from these vaccinations because they're not uh, 100%, you know, safe. But uh, the issue is the following. The vaccination program is predicated on a presumed or alleged terrorist threat from Iraq or from al-Qaeda. And we know that these terrorist attacks are fabricated. Okay, that we know that this is that these warnings are simply a pack of lies. So the way to make this lie stick is to declare a state of emergency, uh, and the provisions are there involving the declaration of martial law. And then you can say everybody has to be vaccinated because Saddam is attacking us with biological weapons. Okay, and our safety is threatened, and people will be pushed into a state of panic. Of course, uh, uh, I would suspect that the media would become even more controlled than what it is today. Uh, I mean, you can still find a lot of useful, critical material on the media, but you you have to search in the inner pages. But I think there would be a tight control, big, large government propaganda. Of course, under martial law, the government could go around arresting people uh, who are the critics, okay? The uh, people in the anti-war movement could be arrested. There are provisions for internment camps in the case of a national emergency. These prospects are pretty frightening, but they have to be understood. And again, how do we disarm a government of this nature? We have to strike at its legitimacy. It's not sufficient simply to say, oh, uh, let's put the war on hold, let's go to the United Nations, let's build a consensus, so on. What we have to do is to make sure that this government is impeached. I'm not necessarily talking about a legal impeachment through the U.S. Congress, which would inevitably uh, be a long, drawn-out process, and the Democrats are complicit in this as well. I'm talking about the fact that ultimately this administration has to be unseated. It's not sufficient to unseat the puppets, okay, the political figureheads, including Bush and Colin Powell. You have to unseat the whole power structure which is behind them. And I think we have the opportunity at this particular juncture because the war propaganda machine is stalling. And war propaganda is is absolutely essential to build a consensus on war. You have to present war as being something which is worthwhile, which is, which is there to protect lives. It's not there to kill people. It's there to make the, the world safer. And so people have to be indoctrinated to such an extent. But when that indoctrination process 
goes into problems like the plagiarizing uh, scandal in Britain where official documents are copied from a grad student's paper on the, on the Internet, then you start saying that the leaders are people who are liars and criminals because they are, in fact, fabricating evidence to wage a war. And this is not an understatement, which uh, I think affects the future of humanity. Bush has said uh, in his State of the Union address, we're going in to liberate Iraq. And uh, I noticed a few days earlier, Andrew Cards, his White House aide, made a statement to the press. It was two or three days before the State of the Union address. And he said, if we are attacked, we don't exclude the use of nuclear weapons in retaliation. Of course, they're going to be attacked. According to their definition, they're going to be attacked. So if there's another terrorist attack uh, on U.S. soil or whether the Iraqi armed forces retaliate in any, in any way uh, possible uh, to a U.S.-led military operation, I think uh, we have to take those statements very seriously. The Bush administration has stated time and again, Donald Rumsfeld has made the statement, we do not exclude the use of tactical nuclear weapons which are supposed to be these mini-nukes. But these mini-nukes, in effect, may be one fraction of Hiroshima. They are nonetheless nuclear weapons, and they want to use them. They want to try them out in Iraq. Uh, it's interesting that when there's an article on, on the dangers of nuclear war, again, it gets shoved to the inner pages of the, of the New York Times. It's acknowledged these uh, statements are acknowledged, but they're never considered for the front page. They're always put uh, somewhere in the inside where nobody can see them. You mentioned martial law and internment camps. Now, under the, this new Office of Homeland Security, they folded a lot of departments, including FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. That's correct. Is there a special clause within FEMA which would allow martial law and internment camps in this country? I don't think it will come under FEMA itself, because FEMA in itself is really, um, it's more for civilian disasters. But the thing is that a state of emergency can simply be decreed uh, if there is a presumed terrorist attack. And under the new provisions, the Northern Command, which is really meant for the defense of the homeland, the Northern Command, which is, a, is there to defend North America in a sense, this Northern Command will then come into a active duty and will be involved in, in a so-called U.S. Uh, war theater, okay?, but that U.S. war theater is really directed against these so-called presumed terrorist attacks by al-Qaeda. Uh, so that there you have this massive uh, military uh, mobilization taking place to defend the homeland. And then you uh, essentially you move into a situation where the Pentagon virtually takes over the civilian functions uh, because we're in a war situation. Now, in fact... The homeland security legislation already has that. The fact that the military courts supersede the judicial and so on, that you can arrest people without warrant. But I think what they want to do now is more to extend that practice of, of mass arrests, which up to now has been uh, limited to people of Middle Eastern descent or Muslims, 
who don't uh, constitute a security threat in, in any way, but those arrests serve a very important function because they create an atmosphere of fear and hatred among, among the population. They're there to give a face, a human face to the enemy. So you arrest these Middle Eastern people who live in, in, in California and, and on trumped-up charges, and that, uh, in a sense, also is part of this whole scenario. Now, uh, I'm not entirely clear how all this uh, is, is likely to come into force. I, I suspect it would be through uh, Homeland Security, both through the Justice Department as well as through Homeland Security, and, and uh, it would allow for the establishment of, of essentially of internment camps within the United States. In other words, you could start arresting people uh, in the anti-war movement uh, based on, uh, again, on trumped-up charges. And, uh, in fact, this may, may be the, the only way to, to actually uh, shunt a growing anti-war movement, uh, which is now gaining uh, the, the broader U.S. population, because you can see that people don't support the government anymore. Well, they may support their government, but they don't support the war agenda. I'm speaking with Michelle Chosodovsky, professor of economics at the University of Ottawa. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Do you think then Colin Powell's statement before the Security Council and the subsequent revelations of the plagiarism, etc., that this could backfire on the government, and that there's a possibility here that we could stop this thing. Yeah, I, I think, I, let, let me first say what I think might happen and what they're planning. They're definitely planning on a terrorist attack using biological weapons. Now, uh, how this is going to take place, where and when, is, is yet to be determined. But for these terrorist attacks, these uh, announced terrorist attacks, for the orange uh, warning to be credible, there has to be some occurrences. Now, it's pretty sort of diabolical uh, in terms of scheme, but they may actually then go to one stage further and say, well, we have information that they're terrorist attacks. They start the war in Iraq, okay? And the moment they start the war in Iraq, they say, well, we need to defend the homeland, and they declare a state of emergency throughout the United States, justifying that measure by saying America is at war, so we can't simply continue with uh, the normal civilian functions. We have to have martial law within the United States. And we declare a national emergency because we are being attacked. Okay? And that's the whole doctrine of self-defense, which we find in Bush's speeches and in the national security doctrine and so on. And then we, we go into another phase where the United States of America, with its uh, British ally, is waging war in Iraq. And uh, within the United States, they have declared martial law with a view, of course, to curbing any kind of anti-war sentiment uh, which might develop. Okay? And then also making sure that, that some of the information which is now available on the Internet and, and in, in the alternative media is simply repressed uh, in, in a most uh, brutal fashion. And uh, I, I think that's going to start targeting people like ourselves. That's a likelihood. Uh, 
whether this will happen from one day to the next is difficult to predict. But uh, clearly, uh, uh, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state at this stage. So uh, people who say the truth, people who who disseminate the truth will be targeted. And of course, uh, organizations um, which don't support the war agenda will be closely watched, uh, as they are already, of course. But I suppose we we have no choice but to go ahead with what we are doing, regardless of the outcome. Oh, I think we have absolutely no choice in that regard. And I think that the worst thing would be to say, uh, well, let's give up. Because the moment we give up, we're much more vulnerable, I think. As long as the information that we are involved in gathering and disseminating gets out, the stronger we will be. And therefore, I think... uh, Everybody involved in this endeavor has to continue, and we will continue. No, I agree with you absolutely. As soon as we give up, it really is all over. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is now what is very important is that the dissemination of the truth has to gain an impetus. It has to get down to the grassroots level. It has to be debated in parishes and schools and workplaces all over the country, And it means a a very different uh, dynamics of the anti-war movement. It means grassroots work. It means talking to people. It means door-to-door. And uh, the moment is there because this administration does not have the support of the U.S. people. Uh, But the thing is that uh, anti-war sentiment in itself will not disarm the Bush administration. What will disarm the Bush administration is precisely to reveal the lies, the deceptions which this administration is involved in, the plagiarizing uh, in the Security Council. uh, I mean, in a country where the honors code is is virtually the norm in in, uh, U.S. uh, colleges and universities, and I know... I'm a graduate of the University of North Carolina. I know how important the honors code is among academics, among students. And there we have these powerful intelligence agencies plagiarizing documents on the Internet and then presenting them to the Security Council as evidence for waging World War III. Okay? That's really what we're involved in. And... um, That news in itself is sufficient to discredit the Bush administration and its British ally. The other key issue at this stage, which I think uh, surrounds uh, Colin Powell's intervention in the Security Council, is the fact that while he accuses Saddam Hussein of linking up with al-Qaeda, we have piles of evidence that point to Colin Powell's links to international terrorism, more specifically his meetings held with General Mahmoud Ahmad, the money man behind 9-11, according to the FBI, on the 13th of February 2001. And it's well acknowledged that Mahmoud runs a spy agency uh, which supports uh, bin Laden and the Taliban. I'm quoting from the Washington Post. So what was Colin Powell doing with the money man behind 9-11? on the 13th of September, 2001. And uh, isn't that a question for him? 
particularly in view of the fact that he is accusing Iraq of harboring Islamic terrorists. It gets to the point where you say the world has gone absolutely crazy. You know, uh, we know that bin Laden family has links to the Bush family. We know that Thomas Keene has... uh, who heads the investigation commission, has business links with the financier behind 9-11, that Colin Powell has met uh, General Mahmoud, who is the money man behind 9-11. And all of those all of those statements that I've just made are based on official documents, official records. I mean, it's not a question of even debating uh, their substance. The problem is that the Bush administration has chosen to accuse others of linking up with al-Qaeda, while we have piles and piles of evidence that shows that the Bush administration and previous uh, U.S. administrations have supported, financed uh, al-Qaeda for the last uh, 23 years. And that is likely, I think, to backfire. It has to backfire at this stage. It's too obvious. The war is also directed against Europe. It is, you see. The U.S. government must see Europe as a separate power that they have to deal with, right? They ultimately, it's not Iraq, which is a threat to them militarily. The main challenge that they have militarily and economically, strategically, is from the European Union, but particularly the Franco-German alliance, and from China and Russia, okay? That's what's happening Since the war in Yugoslavia, France, Germany, China, Russia have been moving much closer together on a number of strategic issues. But again, it's very complex because uh, you have divisions within these countries and uh, you have people uh, like uh, Vladimir Putin who are pushing a pro-American line. And I guess uh, within Germany, the same thing. Uh, It's not so straightforward. And then, of course, if the United States government takes over the Middle East and controls the oil, that's yeah. a way of controlling China well, and Europe, right? Well, essentially, if they, if they take control of those oil reserves, then Europe, Europe is finished. Because that means they won't even be able to share in those oil resources. They'll lose out on the whole, on the, and then eventually Russia will be shoved out of the Caspian Sea. France will be shoved out of the Caspian Sea, and... Germany doesn't have much oil to start with, so you're left with a situation where where a handful of corporations will control the, the oil industry worldwide. What they really want is to make sure that this is a restricted uh, region which is under the geopolitical control of the United States and United States oil companies and so on, and, and they want to keep the Europeans and the Russians and the Chinese at arm's length. So it is a project of global conquest, I think. Absolutely. Well, Professor, thank you very much. Thank you, Bonnie. I've been speaking with Michelle Chosodowski, Professor of Economics at the University of Ottawa. Professor Chosodowski is Director of the Center for Research on Globalization, which hosts the critically acclaimed website www.globalresearch.ca. He is editor of Global Outlook magazine and author of War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, 
both of which are available at www.globalresearch.ca or by calling 1-888-713-8500. Guns and Butter is edited and produced by Yaro Mako and me, Bonnie Faulkner. To leave comments or order copies of the show, call 510-848-6767, extension 628, or visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.net. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? Wake up and take control of your own cipher And be on the lookout for the spirit sniper Trying to steal your life You know what I'm saying? Look what's inside yourself